Sabbath. Good morning. I know we've already prayed, but I'd like to pray again, just because you can't, you, you just can't have too much of that. Um, if you'll bow your heads with me. Um, dear Jesus, we come to you now, Lord. Um, I'm asking you to work through me, speak through me, give me your confidence, <laughs> and just help something I say to reach somebody. And just please be with us the rest of the service and guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. I don't mean to offend anyone. I'm not here to offend you. If you feel like you need to be offended to understand what I'm saying, uh-oh, that's on you. I'm here to hopefully say what God puts in my mouth. I'm here to tell you something that you may not have heard. I hope you haven't. Who, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? What defines you? What, when people think of you in their heads, when they think, oh yeah, yeah, Wendy, Wendy. What does Wendy do? She's really good at praying. She, she plays the drums very well. She's a very nice person. She makes a lot of good jokes. She also hangs out with Autumn and other people I know. So you could say what defines you could be who you hang out with. It could be what you do, your family life maybe, maybe your relationships. Could it also be your mistakes? Maybe? Well, what is a mistake? The dictionary tells me that a mistake is, uh, is an action or judgment that is misguided or wrong. Give me some examples. I like people who talk back to me. I don't like one-sided conversations. Give me some examples. Anyone? What's a mistake you can make in your life? Tell a lie. Amen. That's a, <laughs> those suck. Anyone? Cheat on your taxes. Tax evasion is bad. Don't evade them. Bad things happen to you. Steal. Stealing. <laughs> Let's not get started on that one. That one's bad. Let's, there's breaking the rules. There's... Let's, I mean, one that hasn't been said, but that's kind of a big mistake. You know, murder. It's a, just a little bit of a mistake. It's pretty bad. Um, there's also adultery or cheating on others and lying. And, you know, sometimes when we look at people, all we tend to see are their mistakes. It's, sometimes it's hard to look away from the mistakes. We know them for things besides their mistakes, but we'll always see that stain. It's like when you have a white dress, you know, ladies, or white pants, and you eat ketchup for lunch, and, and there's a stain on it. And you'll, whenever you pick that item back up, you'll always see that stain. You'll always see that marking. How can we, how can we look past that? How, can, how could we ever be more than our mistakes, you know? So, actually, instead of talking about mistakes today and sinful people, ugh, I thought we could maybe talk about some perfect people today, you know, because... Those exist. Um, so if you guys know Saul, um, in Acts, oof, in Acts 7, 58, I'm going to read, or 57, this is right after Stephen, uh, Stephen, if you know him, he's pretty cool, after he gave his message to the Sanhedrin, telling them, oh, you guys are wrong, you guys are doing bad things. And, and the people, they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, being Stephen, and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul, who we're talking about, was one of the witnesses. And he had, he had fully agreed, completely, he was completely okay with them killing Stephen. He's like, yes, 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 let's do it. So good. And then we see, it says, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the pe believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judah and Samaria. Some of the men that were very religious and devoted, they buried Stephen with a great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. This, wait, I thought we were reading perfect people. This is, oh, I think I'm on the wrong part. Hold up. Uh, uh, Acts 9, 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in arrest of any followers of the way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Okay, this might be the wrong story. Um, I, I'm sorry. Let's, let's retry this. Just forget, forget that. Okay, David, yeah? David, you guys know David? David, David, he seemed a pretty good guy, right? He was the youngest of all his siblings. He, you know, was going to be a shepherd for the rest of his life. He kind of knew who he was and where he was going in life. But then, so many things happen. What are, what are some of the things that happened in his life? The priest came to him, or the, I don't remember what he was, but he came to him and he anointed him. And then, and then David went and conquered Goliath, this, this little guy. This little guy who was going to do nothing but herd sheep. And then after he conquered Goliath, Saul, the king at the time, not the same Saul we were reading about. I should have thought about that. Um, <laughs> but Saul started hating him because, you know, he did something that Saul couldn't do. And he turns just, he has two times that he could have killed Saul and chose not to. So he's doing pretty good, right? Because murder's bad. We, we've established that. David spared his life twice. So looking at David, his moral character, you know, he seems like a good godly man, right? Pretty in line and Christ-centered for the most part. That's kind of how we should try to be, right? Pretty in line with God. That, that would make kind of that would make pretty much a lot of sense. Um, looking in Samuel, Second Samuel, twelve, eleven. Sorry. Um, in the spring of the year, we're going to read about David. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. What? 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 No, no, no. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Probably a typo. Um, he sent someone to find out who she was, and he, t and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David knows Uriah. Uriah's in his army. Why is he looking at his... Whatever. Then David sent messengers to go and get her. And he slept with her. She had just, compu uh, she had just completed the purification rites after having... Yeah, her period. 
Then she returned the purification. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, "I'm pregnant, bro. Help. What? What are we gonna do about this?" So then, David sent word to Uriah, the Hittite. From Joab, he said, "Please send this. Send this. Send this to Uriah. That when he arrives, I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell him. I'm gonna tell him how. How's how's the war going? How's that all going? How how are you doing?" And when Uriah got home, David said, "Go home, relax, go hang out with your wife, have a good night." And Uriah was like, "But, but my guys are on the front lines. My guys can't go home. Why am I going home? I'm not special." And so he stood and or he slept outside of the palace entrance with the king's guard. And then when David had heard that Uriah did not go home, he summoned him and said, "What's the matter? Why don't you go home?" I said you could go home. I'm kind of in charge of you. Go home. And he, Uriah replied, "The ark of the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would not do such a thing." And so David said, "Okay, stay home one more day, and and tomorrow you can go. You can go back to the army." So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem, and the next day David David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. And he said once again, "Go sleep with your wife. Have a good night. Have a good night. I just gave you the best wine, the best. And you can go have a good night, sleep well, whatever you need to do." And once again, even though he was drunk, he didn't do it. Uriah Uriah slept outside the palace entrance again. So the next room, uh, the next morning after David found out, he let he wrote a letter to Joab. The guy who was in charge of everyone in the army at the front lines, and he said, "I want you guys. I want you to have uh, Uriah, the Hittite. I want him with my frontier fighters. I guess that's the word." And he he said, "I want you to go to the most dangerous part where all the good all the good battle battlers man I, my words well all the good warriors are, and I want I want you guys to fight. And as And as you guys are fighting, as it gets intense and more intense, I want you to retreat your whole army and leave him there. David's telling, David's David's plotting this. David's plotting this guy's death, and so he sends Uriah with this letter to Joab, and surely the thing is done. I. So. Hold up. Am I getting this straight? So David, this holy and. Little little runt of the family, the guy who was anointed, you know, and you know killed Goliath because God gave him the ability to. He he goes and sleeps with a guy's wife, and then and then just gets away with it. He plots a guy's death and gets the guy killed. How how could God love David for this? How could he bless him with a son? If, if they were pregnant, he was going to have a son. How did this God-fearing servant of the Lord stray from the Lord's path? Sure, surely God couldn't love David. No, nope. <laughs> sorry. Well, I, I guess that's two major people who kind of made mistakes. I mean, it really sucks that that's where their stories end in the Bible. Uh oh. But you know, third try has to be a char- uh, the charm. Ah, oh, I like this one. I like this one. Ah, Judges thirteen. Samuel. Uh, Samson. Sorry. Samson, Samson's story is pretty cool. I definitely recommend going and looking at it. He's he's a perfect guy. He's the perfect guy, the perfect guy. I mean, I've never read the end of the story, but he's a perfect guy. 
Um, and so there's these two, this, there's this couple in, in the tribe of Dan who lived in the town of Zora. And this guy, this couple, they couldn't get pregnant. For the life of them, they couldn't get pregnant. Years and years, they couldn't get pregnant. And then, soon enough, after the woman, after they prayed and prayed, God sent an angel, and, or a man of the Lord. And he appeared before them and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. But be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food, unclean food, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God from birth as a Nazarite. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Okay. Okay. God's literally dedicated this kid, of this couple that couldn't have a kid, and he's going he's gonna to deliver Israel from the Philistines, because they've been ruled over for 40 years, if you didn't know. That's, that's pretty unfortunate. But now that they have this guy, and he's pretty much a superhero, because God works straight through him. He's going to work through him in all he does. And then he's, we, jump over to, we jump over to Judges 14, 5, and 7, and it says, he just met this girl, and he's like, oh, I want to marry her. I, she's the one for me. I know she's a Philistine, but she's the one for me. So as Samson and his parents were going to Timnah, a young lion attached, attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. Let's talk about superhuman strength. And, and he did it as easily as if it were a young goat. But he didn't tell his father or his mother about it. And then when Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with a woman and was very pleased with her. So he's like, oh yeah, this is definitely the girl for me. I'm going we're gonna, to I'm gonna marry her. And so he goes back home, and he tells his parents, hey, let's go. Come on. It's happening right now, right now. I know you don't like Philistines. I know none of us do because we're oppressed by them, and they're not God's people. But we're going to go, and I'm going to get married to her, and I don't care. And so, and so later when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion, which he had killed. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped out some of the honey in his hands and ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother. Didn't, wasn't that one of the rules? To not eat the unclean? Or like, I mean, because the honey was inside the carcass. So that's unclean. So, I mean, surely it gets better. Let's just, it's fine, it's fine. I won't tell you the full story because if you don't know it, go and look at it later. I promise it's amazing. Um, but Samson killed many, many, many of Philistines and other people. And, and one day, he met this woman named Delilah. We all know this part of the story. Whom he married. Delilah was asked by Philistine leaders to find the secret to Samson's power. After a long time of Samson making things up to his wife about, oh yeah, just tie me in a tie me in tie me in a rope, or you know, spin me around in three circles, maybe even sing to me, and I'll be weak. After these theories were tested and failed, Samson finally told Delilah that a razor shall not touch his head, for Christ was with him if he followed this rule. Why is he? Why would he? Why would he tell her? Okay, she won't do the. She she wouldn't tell them. 
She then lured him to sleep and had a man cut off his luscious locks and bind him in robes. Samson awoke and his strength had left him. And because of this, the Philistines gouged his eyes out ouch, and threw him in prison. Why would he tell her? <laughs> Obviously, he knew it was a setup. Why would he tell her? You're telling me he was so blinded by love that he told this woman? That was like he had three rules to follow. He already, he already broke the one, you know, because he ate the unclean. And now he's having a right razor touch his head. And God left him. He literally, it was so bad that he ended up in prison. And he literally had superpowers, and he messed up. I thought, Marvel tells me that superheroes are amazing, and they never make mistakes. That's exactly what the Marvel Universe says. And God was with him and provided him for him, and he still does this? Three down. Let me just try one more, and then we can go to potluck. I mean, I think this one's a good one, okay? Peter. Simon Peter, we like this guy. He was friends with Jesus. Peter, Simon Peter, knew who he was. He and his brother Andrew were going to be fishermen and get married and live their lives however they pleased. They were gonna, they were gonna just start their lives and do whatever they wanted. I mean, they were gonna follow God, but they were gonna do whatever they wanted. And we read in John 21, it says, later Jesus appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, our guy, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, also the sons of Thunder, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm gonna go fishing. This, I just, I just feel like going fishing. I'm gonna go fishing. And so they all said, okay, we'll go, we'll go too. We'll go too. So they got out in a boat, and all night they caught nothing. All night. I don't know if you guys have been fishing, but they didn't have they didn't have the help rod rod fishing rod yeah i don't fish you can tell they <laughs> they didn't have fishing rods they had nets nets in two boats and all night they're sitting there throwing the nets over pulling them back in throwing the nets over pulling them back in to just have nothing and so that can be pretty that can be pretty depressing i guess um but at dawn, Jesus was standing at the beach, and he said to the disciples who couldn't see him, he said, fellows, have you caught any fish? They said, no, of course not. We've been fishing all night. Can't you tell? We, we wouldn't be here if we had caught something. And so Jesus said to them, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some fish. And so they did, and they continued hauling it in. And then eventually, as Peter realized who he was, he said, it's the Lord. And he put on his tunic, and he jumped into the water and headed to shore. And the other people, they, they came with the boat, and they came, and they followed up shortly after. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, and fish cooking over a chocolate fire. Ugh. And they started cooking the fish, and, and, then, and then Peter starts talking to Jesus, and he says, or Jesus starts talking to Peter after breakfast, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. You know I love you, Peter says. And then Jesus tells him, feed my lambs. Oh, okay, okay. And then Jesus repeats the question. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord. You, you know I love you. Once again. And Jesus says, then take care of my sheep. And the third time, 
Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Like, he told this guy twice. Is he not getting it? He's like, he said, Lord, you know everything. Everything. You are the universe. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. This is pretty good, right? Good start. Nothing, this guy, he hasn't done anything wrong yet. Unlike the other two, or other three, you know, the Simon Peter guy, he's like actually besties, uh, best friends with Jesus. There's no way he messes this up. He's going to, he literally, he's going to take care of this guy's sheep and feed his lambs. Let's just, let's just wrap this story up and then, and then we can go ahead and have potluck, you know, the best part of church, as some would say, but no. Um, in Luke 22, uh, 22 50, verse 54, this is after Jesus was getting arrested. Oh, no, I lied. Sorry. Um, in 31, it says, Simon, Simon, this is Jesus saying it. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each one of you, he's talking about the disciples, like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith shall not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, I will help you strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and even to die with you. He was ready to be a martyr for him then and there. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something, bud. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. You will deny that you even know me. So obviously Peter's like, what? <laughs> what? Imagine your best friend coming over to you. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to not know who I am. You're going to say you don't know me. You're going to lie about me. You're going to say some bad things about me tomorrow, and I know it. And you can't even stop it. But I mean, why is, why is Jesus telling Peter that he's going to deny him? Didn't he just entrust this guy to take care of his sheep and feed his lambs? Why would, why would Peter, who loves Jesus, deny him? We know he loves him. He said it three times. That means three is the charm. So in Luke 22, 54, this is right after Jesus was arrested. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight, Peter, and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was a, one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. He said, woman, I don't even know him. Don't know who he is. Why is he, why, why would he lie? Why is he, it's okay. It, this, the story continues. No, and then after a while, another someone said, you must be one of them. And he said, no, I'm not. Stop it. You're, you're, you're going crazy. And then about an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, immediately as he said this, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. These guys are horrible. I thought Peter was going to be the one guy in the Bible who didn't make a mistake. This, I mean, this whole thing is supposed to be about perfect people. I mean, he was like so close with Jesus, and he still denied him? They were best friends. It's a pretty horrible ending. These guys are pretty bad. I mean, I've never really made a mistake, so, you know, I have a right to judge them. That's why, that's why we're here, because we've never made mistakes. So it's just so disappointing of them. They had so much potential, but, you know, God doesn't use people who make mistakes. So 
I guess that's the end of these stories. I, I guess the phrase team, you guys can come on up. Maybe, I'd, this is just so sad. Maybe we should just go to potluck. Um, um, it's just so weird how these guys in the Bible, they were all sinners. I mean, it's not good to make mistakes, obviously, because that's, that's why I've never made a mistake, because my mommy told me it's not good to make mistakes. So I, I, I guess the praise team, you can just come on up. You guys are good. Um, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> I guess there was, like, one time I made a mistake. It, it's, it doesn't count because I was little, okay? Mistakes don't count when you're little. That's what I like to believe. But, you know, I was, like, four, and this little girl I knew, some of you know the story, um, I, she wouldn't give me back my favorite toy. I was like, give it to me. She's like, no. I was like, give it to me. She's like, no. And so she's holding this toy. She's holding it away from me. And, you know, I got all mad and tried to take it from her. And she's hugging it close to her chest and kind of leans forward. She kind of leans forward. So, you know, I do the honorably respectful thing, and I bite her in the back. It's morally correct. It was my toy. It made me mad. So I took a little big chomp out of her spinal cord. And then she cried and whatever. And then my mom came around the corner and she got all upset, and, and I was being put in the timeout chair as my mom was bandaging my ex-friend's back. You know, I had left a pretty big mark. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's, I guess I can remember like one other time. I called my brother a mean name because he was calling me shorts, a name that I cannot say at church. And then there was that one time I crashed into another person's car with my mom's truck. That was a pretty bad one. Yeah, that one, that was pretty scarring. And then, not physically though, I was okay. Um, but their car wasn't. Um, and then and then one moment, you know, there was one moment where my friend Jonathan and I, <laughs> there's a little moment that we maybe cheated just a little on our pop quiz in a certain class that will not be named. And I guess, you know, there was another time I didn't wash my hands after it. You know what? I think, now that I think about it, I've made a few mistakes, quite a lot actually, not just a few. But then how am I here? Why am I on the stage? Why am I in front of you? How have I been on two, about to be three mission trips where the Lord has fully provided for my funding? How could he use me or love me? Who has a plan here for their life? Yeah, yeah. Who knows who, they <laughs> who knows who they truly are and what they will live out their life doing? You? Do you? Do you know who you are? Well, I can, tell you ex I can tell you God has another plan for you. You may think you know exactly who you are and where you're going in life, but I promise you God has something incredible hiding around that corner. A plan just for you. Because he literally says, I have plans for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To bring you hope in a future. He will use you just like how God used Saul, David, Samson, and Peter to do his work. But weren't, wait, 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 wait. But weren't those the guys that, like, made all those mistakes? Like, Saul literally was killing God's followers and putting them in jail. And David, he had a guy killed so he could marry the guy's wife. And didn't Samson disobey the rules God gave him? And what about Peter? He literally denied his teacher and friend, Jesus. How could God use them? Well, why did Jesus die? He, yeah, he died to save us from our sins. Did he have to do that? 
No, not at all. He had practically no reason at all to save us from our sins, other than the fact that he loves us. As long as we let him in, no matter our mess-ups, he loves us. And he will use us not, not only despite our mistakes, but for our mistakes. Because our mistakes help us grow, and they help us become deeper in who we are, in our connection with God. Sometimes we make a mistake, or something happens in our lives. And we just, we feel like we're on the edge of the world, you know? We're completely alone, like we have no one. Like our life is ending and we don't understand how we got here. We had a plan for our life. I knew where I was going. I knew what I was going to do. Exactly what I was going to do. What I was going to say. Who I was going to be. And somehow it's all gone wrong. And we're on the edge fighting for our lives, it feels. But then we learn that there's a reason for the pain. I know it sounds wrong and silly. But the events in our lives that we go through are given to us as tests. And following those tests of strength, we can use those stories to testify the Lord's goodness. We know that he loves us despite our sins, despite our failures, despite our doubt, despite our evil thoughts, despite our mistakes. And he chooses to use us for his glory. If you don't know the end of the stories, let me just let, me just let you know. Saul, the guy who was murdering God's people, and on the active hunt for more of them to kill, Saul was stopped. And God had an intervention with him. And Saul was renamed to Paul after the Lord spoke to him and made him turn from his evil ways of hate. Paul became an apostle, and he traveled to share Christ's word. And he wrote, I'm pretty sure, seven books in the Bible, and he's credited to three more. And David, the guy who killed the guy's wife so he could, oh, wait, whoa, he killed the guy so he could marry the guy's wife, He's not marrying the guy. Um, he, found, he founded the Judean dynasty and united the tribes of Israel. He was called a man after God's own heart, despite all that he'd done wrong. And he did a lot wrong. Although Samson didn't escape the prison on foot or burn the city to the ground since he was in the prison, Samson was given the opportunity to kill as many Philistines and wicked people as he was able to. God gave him the strength to do one last punch to the Philistines in the power and destroy the courtyard in which many gathered to watch him die. He died as a martyr. Peter, Jesus' ex-bestie, um, he performed miracles after the ascending of Jesus, and he taught the good news the rest of his days until he died as a martyr for the Lord once again. And they did these things because God chose them. He didn't want perfect men. Because there is no such thing. What makes us human? The fact that we're sinners. That's not in the dictionary, but it's in my dictionary. He chose them because he loved them and knew they were capable. Does this mean that they didn't make any other mistakes in their lives? No. No, because the stories don't end. The Bible's big. Um, but he chose them because... Because it's okay that we make mistakes. Because we're human. Am I saying to go and make mistakes? No. Because humans aren't perfect. We've been infected with this thing called sin, and there's no true cure until God comes back. And when God comes back, he needs us to have done what he has asked of us. Mark 16, 15 says, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. We are spreading his word 
Oh, well, we are to spread his word to everyone. And we are to feed the lambs and take care of the sheep. I like that tie-in. As we are God's children. Because we are God's children, right? That's what we are? God's children? Are you sure you don't sound like you're sure? You're sure? So what are we doing with our lives? I know a lot of us have the same exact answers. Oh, I got school tomorrow, you know, how it is. And then I got volleyball after school, or, you know, I got work at 7 a.m., and then I got to go to an MRI, and then I got to go sing at a church, not calling people out. Um, and, and I have family things. I got someone getting married next week, and I just had someone pass away. And I have friends that are going through hard times, and I need to be there for them, you know? And then I have sports after all of that, because sports are important. And then, you know, I go to church on Saturday. It's whatever. But within these things, we need to be maintaining this Christ-like attitude and character. Has anyone noticed anything major happening in the churches? I know we've been growing a lot, but a lot of churches within our Christian communities are losing members rapidly. We are using, we are losing young people because, because they don't want to be here. But we are the young people, right? I, I'm not talking about your age right now. I'm talking about your heart. Because we are the young people. The young people are supposed to finish God's work. Oh, I should have prepped this beforehand. Darn it. I have something on my phone. Just, just take a deep breath. All right. From Ellen G. White, somebody's favorite author back there. Um, In order to effectively do God's last day work and optimize their skills, gifts, and talents for God, the youth... The youth need to be solely focused on God. God calls for the youthful vigor and zeal and courage. He has chosen the youth to aid in the advancement of his cause. Young men and women are invited to give God the strength of their youth, that they may bring glory to him and salvation to their fellow men. The youth, the youth are the most effective evangelists of other youth. Preachers or laymen advanced in years cannot have one half the influence upon the young that the young do. Uh, that the youth do. Devoted to God, they can have, they can call upon their associates. Our youth properly trained can finish the work of proclaiming God's last day message. With such an army of workers as our youth, rightly trained, might furnish and soon the message of crucified, risen, and the soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. Given all the prophetic information about the future and the changes and challenges looming for Seventh-day Adventists publishing, how will we respond? Will we earnestly and daily pray for youth, those who work with them? Or will we do something? Young people have so much passion and fire within them. I'm not saying this just because I'm me. I'm saying it for all of us. Whether you're a shy person, whether you're a sad person, whether you're a quiet person, I don't care. I care, but I don't care. Because you have passion and fire within you. But you don't use it. Some of you do. I'm not calling to everyone. But we're not using it. We could set the church on fire with love for God. That's literally the title of this, setting the church on fire for God. But we choose to fill our lives with other less important things. I'm not saying being there for family and friends and your daily activities aren't important. I'm saying use God or represent God through it all and share him through it all. And yes, take some time out of your day, out of your week, out of your busy schedule that I know you all have, and do something for him. Not because you have free time, 
Make time for him. We need to be the generation that sets the church on fire with love of Christ. We want Christ to take us with us, right? That's why we're here. We want Christ to take us with him. So we need to do our part. We need to share his news so others can know him and go with us. You may think that, oh, yeah, I love the Lord. But, you know, I'm not special or anything. I, like, I can't do anything for him. You know, I just, I, I'm too busy. And why would he even want my help? You know, I've made mistakes. I have a bad past. You don't even want to look at my ledger. What could I honestly do for him? Well, in Luke 19, 29 to 34, Miss Autumn is, or 35, Autumn has already read for us. It says, if I can find it, it says, I'm getting there. Um, as he, Jesus, came to the towns of Bethage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead saying, go into that village over there. That's beautiful. Thank you. Go into that village over there. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And, and if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. What is a cult? The dictionary, this time, the actual dictionary, tells me that a cult is a young horse, typically younger than four years old. A cult is young and inexperienced and typically stubborn. And cults remind me of people a lot. Because no matter how old we are, we are all inexperienced in a way. I'm, I don't care how old you are, you don't know how to do every single thing in the world. You don't know how to do everything. And typically, a lot of y'all are stubborn. I can testify for that. You can testify for that. Don't lie to yourself. And yet, Jesus chooses us. He, I know it says it in the Bible. I know it says he needs us. He's the Almighty. He doesn't need anyone here. He doesn't need, he doesn't need us. He could do anything he wanted. With its, not even a snap of his fingers. He could do anything just by saying it. But he chooses to need us. He chooses to need us. And the only way we can really respond to that is by doing what he asks of us. Although we are all human and we are all going to make mistakes, Jesus chooses to do his work through us. Just because he chooses us despite our mistakes, that doesn't mean we get to just blindly be complacent and sin because we think it doesn't matter. A preacher once told me that there are three ways to spiritually die. Three ways to spiritually die. I don't know if you guys have heard of these, but the three ways to spiritually die are death by, uh, death by, death by starvation, death by suffocation, and death by obesity. Now those, sound, ugh, now those sound very harsh, and it's because they are. The three biggest principles to counteract these spiritual deaths or read, feed, air, prayer, and fitness, witness. Read, feed, air, prayer, and fitness, witness. Now, let me just explain this to you real quick. Read, feed. Everyone needs sustenance to live, correct? You guys eat food? We need some sort of fuel to, uh, fuel to power us in our bodies because we cannot grow without food. 
and we cannot excel and progress without fuel. In the same exact way we need food to fuel us, we need to be reading. Read the Bible. Read the great prophecy. Read God's word. Because without this spiritual fuel, we become stagnant and simple. If we choose to blindly follow what we hear from preachers and spiritual teachers without doing our own part, and doing our own personal studies and readings, then we become as dumb, uh, dull as dishwater, not dumb. Um, we cannot grow. <laughs> we cannot grow without actively trying to feed our hunger for God's word. Our brains are muscles, not hard drives. You cannot expect yourself to hear something once and fully understand and remember it. The same way you don't lift a weight once and expect it to feel lighter the second time. You need to train yourself in God's word. We need to read. We need to train ourselves. We need to treat reading the Bible as seriously as we treat eating food. Because we, eat, we treat eating food very seriously. And without this, we spiritually die from starvation. Air prayer. We need to breathe, right? I don't know how many of you guys have done science, but I hope you know that. We need to breathe. Everyone needs oxygen to live. We constantly use our lungs to breathe in and out. And if we were to stop breathing, we die by suffocation. In the same exact way, we need air constantly. We need to pray constantly. How do we expect to air? Uh, how do we expect answers to prayer if we're not praying to Him? How do we expect that to just happen? How do we expect to call on Him when we haven't built that connection? Yes, you can call on him whenever you need. But try to build that connection, because that is what we are here to do. Am I saying to constantly be on your knees praying everywhere you go? Not exactly. We can keep a prayerful mindset, and yes, when you need to or just feel like it, we should be praying. It can be silent in your head. You could be walking to work, and it could be silent. Your eyes can be open. You could be doing whatever. But... Prayer is this deep, intimate way that we connect with God. And if we are not actively strengthening our connection with him, we will spiritually die by suffocation. And as the praise team comes up on the stage, let me explain this last principle. Because this one matters a lot too. Fitness witness, I personally believe, is the most important of the three. Because you can eat all you want, and yeah, you can breathe every day, but without moving, you will never change or grow. Our job as children of God is to not only reflect him in everything we do, but to tell others of what he has done for us and through us. You can read your Bible every day. You can be praying every other moment. But if we aren't taking a chance, stepping out of your comfort zone and pushing yourselves to extend God's voice to others, we aren't doing our part. We're here to share God's news, right? The good news, correct? So let's share it. Whether you're giving Bible studies, singing in the street, feeding the homeless, whether you're sharing a smile, simply giving someone a hug, telling your testimony to someone over lunch, whether you're sharing with a neighbor or a cousin or a child across the world from you, we should be reflecting Christ's character because we are more than our mistakes. We are more than our mistakes. We are more than our mistakes. 
And God will use us in ways we don't understand, and we may never. Because despite our mistakes, we can make a difference in this world and bring people closer to God. If only we try. I'm going to quote Jim Farlow real quick, because last week he was preaching, and he said, he said, some of us aren't getting out of church what we, think, what we feel like we should be getting out of it. It's okay. You can admit that. But we should be actively trying to. You need to come to church with a powerful mindset. You need to go everywhere with a powerful mindset. I know we have bad things that weigh us down, but we need to be trying. We need to be praying and reading and witnessing, whether that's on a stage, whether that's somewhere outside. We need to be trying because we are God's people and we are here to set the church on fire with his love. If you'll pray with me. Dear Jesus, Lord, Thank you for this day. Thank you for us being able to get here safely, and thank you for giving me words, Lord. Please, please help something I've said to touch somebody. Help it to make sense. And help, help people not to just come in here, hear what I say, and leave. Help them to connect some dots. They, help them to understand some things that they haven't understood before. Because that's why we come to church to learn. Just help us, Lord, to have learned something, and keep us safe. And guide us and direct us as we leave this place. And help, help Potluck to go well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.